Hello and welcome to the Brand Explorer podcast. I'm your host, Dirk Belling, coming to you from Munich. These interviews explore the trails and passes people have taken to build successful brands in the cycling community. Listen to their lessons from their own personal experience. Enjoy the ride. His open mind, trying new things, getting back up and learning from failure, made Tarek Razuli, founder of the agency Resolution, a pioneer in creating exciting brands like Danny McAskill, Fabio Wiebmer, Bike Park Leogang, and the Red Bull District Ride. Before a bike accident brought his life to a dramatic stop and Tarek into a wheelchair, he was a very successful BMX racer and non-bike freerider. We talk about what it takes to become a strong rider brand today and before internet, how young riders should use social media rather to learn instead of hunting followers, how losing focus is dangerous, the important role of parents, and that asking for permission is the better way to cheat. With 40 years in cycling and the industry, Tarek can tell from first-hand experience what it takes to start a brand building strong brands, and every detail about the great and challenging moments along the way. He pioneered the mountain bike image. Oh, and one more thing. He is sharing the great moment of how he felt walking again after 18 years in the wheelchair, thanks to Exobionics Technologies. Enjoy the ride. Tarek! Welcome to the Brand Explorer podcast. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Thanks for taking the time after a long day in the office. How are you? Hi, Dirk. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm fine. Thanks. Uh, yeah, end of the day, but uh, beginning of our podcast, I'm excited. Yeah, thank you. So, Tarek, um, I saw on your social media, you posted some incredible videos of you walking again. FYI for all of those who don't know Tarek, he's been in a wheelchair since 2002. So tell me, how, how did this work and where did you do this and how does it feel? Yeah, uh, something completely new that I have not uh, done before. It's, I heard about it. Um, maybe people heard about it. Uh, it's called Exobionics. Um, well, it is by Exobionics. It's an exoskeleton. And uh, a friend of mine that lives in, in Zillertal, Tyrol, actually has his own exoskeleton. Um, that's Hannes Kindergartner, also uh, somebody that had an accident uh shortly after me and is also in the wheelchair and um, him and me are actually both ambassadors for wings for life uh, so uh, for everyone that doesn't know wings for life it's a charity uh, for um, that tries or that gets funds uh, to cure spinal cord injuries and uh, maybe you heard of the wings for life world run that is also coming up soon um, so anyways harness told me Hey, I got the EXO. We are starting some sessions. Do you want to join? And you want to try it out? You you have to actually like it's a great experience. And I'm like, well, oh, definitely. It's a invitation to uh, potentially walk. And of course, it was a bit of uh, I had some respect of it. And 
yeah, I arrived um, at his place in October last year and um, did my first, yeah, eventually my first walking in 18 years. And that was definitely very exciting. Um, wow. It's, of course, it's walking. And how far? How far did well, you walk? It was the first time and obviously it was sort of a stress on the body, definitely. So I did only, I mean, only for the first time it was good, 400 steps about. Um, so that's like close to 400 meters or so. Um, I um, now, like I went there, I went there three times um, and then lockdown actually got tighter and tighter again. And uh, also... Actually, when I, when I uploaded my um, my first time session, I uploaded it on LinkedIn, and for whatever reason, I got so much great feedback. Uh, even though that was probably my worst walking, but it was my first I can walking, imagine. so I got actually like close to five hundred thousand views. And yeah, eventually, I got in touch with a company as well, and uh, they're in San Francisco, and um, they connected me with a German. Um, Uh, a subsidiary and they connected me to some places in Germany and that are close to Munich that have an exo. Uh, so I'm in, in constant therapy there. Uh, I do twice a week, uh, the walking, uh, did it also this morning. Okay. Yeah, it's great. feels really good. Great. I can, I can, I can see by your smile. It's definitely a lot of fun, huh? Yeah. Yeah, it gives you energy and, of course, some, let's say, hope for something new, uh, uh, like that improves your life, like maybe to use it in your everyday life on the one hand, but also it improves your circulation in your legs and in my butt. And also actually I get a little bit more water, which means more okay. muscle and that protects my body um, because I sit quite a lot and everybody that knows uh, – Uh, you can get pressure sores uh, easily when you're in a chair uh, if you're sitting a lot. So, yeah. yeah. So again, you get uh, rewarded for your courage to try something new, huh? Open-minded as you are. Um, before we go into more details, um, would you mind just introducing yourself to to the audience for those who who don't know everything about you? Um, what are you doing these days? Yeah, I'm Tarek Razuli. I'm born and raised in Munich, I'm 46 years old. Um, well, uh, today I run an agency called Resolution. Uh, we are a brand communication and marketing agency. Um, we, I mean, there's lots of background and obviously we focus, um, well, not obviously, but we focus on biking Uh, so cycling as a whole, but focus mountain biking and e-mountain biking. And, uh, we're, um, yeah, of course this comes from my background. So I used to be a former athlete and that's, that's sort of what my background is like, uh, yeah. Or did you, did you want that as step into that later on? No, let, let's drop, let's drop some names here. It's not just a communication agency. I mean, you have some of the superstars uh, like Danny McGaskill, um, like Fabio, like Emil, and also um, a wide range of, of uh, expertise in different areas like uh, resorts. You know, as I see, or you can see on your on your webpage, you work with with uh, great areas like Leogang. Yeah. And then you're 
directly connected to some of the best and biggest uh, freeride events that happened uh, in, in Germany. Before we go into this detail, uh, you know, everything, you know, there's, there's two sides of your life. There's the part before your accident and then the part after the accident. But from the start, since you started BMX, right, um, it's all about cycling, right? How did you get started with, with BMX or, or cycling? <laughs> it's a funny story. Um, I was very little, uh, about six years old, and my friends, uh, they were actually Austrians that, that worked at my dad's uh, place. Um, they were um, older than me. One was 18, the other was 14. I was six years old, um, and, and they were brothers. Um, they rode Bonanza bikes. Um, maybe you remember them with a banana seat uh, or, or banana saddle, kind of like uh, like like yes. cruisers. But I, yeah, Bonanza is different. They have three gears. Um, they had twenty inch bigger tires and and like a chopper handlebar and uh, yeah, uh, twenty inch yeah. wheels. But um, so I wanted desperately a, a Bonanza bike, but I couldn't find any. But then there was this BMX bike. And this was about in 1981, um, yeah, I would say, yeah, 1981. Uh, we were, at that time, we moved a bit earlier from Munich to the countryside, and then my parents got divorced, and then we went, my, my mom and uh, my sister and me went back to Munich. Um, but I had a BMX in my, uh, uh, when we moved, uh, which was amazing. And then I uh, went to the Olympic Park because we, we just uh, lived around the corner, um, and that was in '83 when the park had a BMX track, um, or just just built a BMX track. That was around right around the ET times, and yeah, that was a start. So ET the movie, okay. yeah. But I wasn't inspired by ET because I had my, yeah. And then you took this uh, pretty serious um, with racing and become pretty successful. Um, even like junior world champion and and even into the finals uh, in the men's category, European champions, right? So what what was driving you uh, to 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 become so successful? Well, I mean, for me that was you know it was a sport that was full fully my passion, and I just wanted to become better and better. Um, my mom was very motivating. I have to say, my mother took me to races. When I was like from 10 years old, she took me to different races. I remember um, once I was in, in my second German championship, I already got third. Um, and uh, when I made it actually to the finals, I was uh, overwhelmed. And my mom was like, okay, uh, you know, you get a, here's a new pants for the finals. I write the finals, I get on the podium and she's like, okay, now we go to Barcelona. So we go to Barcelona for the European Championships because I was qualified. And that was such an insanely amazing, wonderful experience and motivating at the same time. Um, yeah. And then from then, I just wanted to get better and better. But so your mom was your first sponsor then? Exactly. Yeah, my mom was my big supporter. Um, you know, she did everything she can uh, at uh, at the time, especially post uh, the divorce. And um, yeah, she supported me a lot. She was actually then running also the BMX 
category of, of uh, the Olympic Park um, Association or, or from the club, from the BMX club. Uh, and she was sort of a judge as well at the races, um, which uh, is, is pretty funny because it's something I did later as well. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I did it later in mountain biking, but she, uh, she, yeah, um, she documented a lot. I have still uh, loads of content from and photos and reports from the eighties from BMX, uh, which I just uh, recently found again. <laughs> do, do you see this still again today with uh, with the young athletes that that uh, you work with that? Uh... They're, they're sponsored and supported by their parents in the beginning? Yes, yes, of course. The parents are the ones that um, somehow have to support what the kids are doing. Um, if they're not supporting, it will be very difficult for the kids. Um, and yes, we, I mean, I, I do remember when, for example, I met um, Fabio Wiedmer for the very first time, it was with his parents and it was at Danny McCaskill's uh, Wings Academy, which uh, was like a, a camp for, for kids or for, for teenagers. Um, and we organized that here in the Olympic Park. And uh, yeah, Fabio was there with his parents and they were, you know, very proud in some way and happy for him to meet Danny and to ride with Danny for a day. And uh, that was uh, that was pretty amazing, and that was good to see how important the parents are, and that that showed later also. Great. So you uh, then you know from from BMX you went on to to mountain bike, and then even to a career of modeling. When was it for you that that you said, "Okay, I need to work on my image"? When did you start? Can you can you turn and think of like when did you start thinking about, "Okay, I need to work on my image on my brand"? Well, I mean, let's say where where I had a shift uh, was when I was focusing on on one thing more. Um, I had definitely a shift in my personal image, um, so. When I rode, I, I raced only BMX for, you know, a very long time. But on the side, I started doing mountain bike uh, photo shoots like many pros did at the time. I I don't know if you know names like Eddie Fiola, um, Ryan Lopes, uh, uh, Fuzzy Hall. Like yeah. there's so many that used to race or ride BMX. Um, and, and and also John Tomek, I guess, and and there even tinker uh used to race uh, bmx tinker yes. Juarez, um, yes, yeah. and um but yeah so so i was like a lot in the bike magazines but i was still racing bmx and um that was more my passion but i had to pay my bills uh and that was possible through mountain biking um so i looked always for partners or brands that would do both bmx and mountain bikes I rode uh, for GT, for example, in 98 and 99. And it was mainly because they made BMX bikes. Before it was Mongoose, and they also had BMX and mountain bikes. And right. um, in 99, I decided to stop BMX racing because um, it didn't go anywhere really in Germany. 
uh, it was uh, it was a sport that always needed support but didn't have enough support in in Germany and um, okay. so then when I stopped I felt like well but I don't want to stop mountain biking because that's it is quite fun I'm getting around traveling I was at the time already traveling quite a lot to different uh, yeah different places and I was sort of the cover boy for, for bike magazine at the time as well. And, um, but then I met Dirk Jans from Rocky mountain, uh, or, or bike action, but the German distributor for Rocky mountain at the time. And, um, and I, because I, I saw, I saw what the riders from Rocky mountain are doing and I'm like, well, that's exactly what I want to do. That's what I'm actually already doing. I am a free rider. I am, uh, you know, doing exactly what, um, yeah, my later my teammates uh, did, and and they started free riding really. Uh, so Richie Schley. So you speak. Sorry. You're speaking about the the fro riders, right? Exactly the fro riders. Exactly. Um, they're still friends and they're still riding and. And that's, uh, yeah, that's who I joined. And when I joined them, suddenly my brand and image definitely started to form uh, me as a, an athlete and uh, as uh, maybe a um, yeah, sort of free ride pioneer as well. I was suddenly in the movie and, and cranked. I remember when... From the moment I was in the crank movie, I suddenly had to sign autographs at events or sometimes even on the street. And this, I mean, sometimes on the street, I only remember one time, to be honest, but uh, but definitely at events also. Um, so it, from being first like a model slash cover boy that sometimes raced the four cross and, and was visiting the uh, bike festivals mainly for four cross races, um, I turned to a free rider that was constantly in the public focus um, in, in the, let's say, in the well, not only in the German scene, actually, but uh, I would say all over Europe. And um, that was the partnership with Rocky that, that helped me and elevated my profile, I would say. How, how hard or how easy was it to, to get into the team? Did you just call and say, I want to ride for you? Or can you share this? <laughs> well, actually, it's a funny story because I actually called Dirk and, and it was, you know, sort of a cold call because I knew his face and maybe he knew mine, but we never, he didn't know my name and who I was. And, uh, and I called him and he's like, um, well, it was February, March already. And he said, no, we, I, I, I asked if I can ride for Rocky Mountain. Um, for his brand and he said um, no they're already full uh, they have the, the flow riders already and they don't need anybody here um, so the flow riders are from north america from canada and i thought well that's kind of strange but i mean they're over there and coming a couple of times over but then um i went to the bike festival at uh, riva de garda and i had my little or not so little it was a book Uh, full of covers and magazine pages and of my activities and, and, and shows I wrote and so on. And I met Dirk and I sat down again with him and showed him what I had. And, and then he looked at it and I'm like, Oh, I think we have to do something together. 
So that's that's how it started. So I was, uh, let's say, persistent enough um, to uh, get on that team, and um, and I was getting, uh, um, let's say, not an easy start because it was like, okay, we we start working with you, but you're also you're only getting products and and some. Um, uh only products and and like travel expenses. support and expenses uh in this first year and then we see how it goes until end of the year and then uh and then uh hopefully extend or or have a proper contract and at the time i was already sponsored by red bull for example and by um other brands i already had my own partners um but uh yeah I still so let, let's stop here for for a second with with Red Bull. You know, this is you know, if uh, of all the pictures uh, we see of you, you know, you're always somewhere nice and small showing the the love you give to this brand. How did this start? I mean, it seems to be even harder and bigger to get into Red Bull than than Pro Riders from my view. Yeah. Um, well, Red Bull actually has a bit of a, uh, for me, there's some special stories uh, related to it because when I used to race BMX, um, there was a guy from Austria that was uh, about a one, one head taller than me. He was big and had red cheeks and big ears a bit like he was really strong and, 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 and he looked like Red Bull and he was branded Red Bull. And we became really good friends. And so he was one of the first athletes uh, supported by Red Bull because they did some um, sponsorship uh, with BMX clubs. And uh, he was from Vienna, Austria. And What was his name? Uh, Markus Buchhalt. Uh, okay. And, and Markus, I'm actually still in contact with him, uh, funny enough, but... Uh, My friend Sebastian, that's also a former uh, German champion in BMX, and me would always visit Marcus or Marcus would visit us and we would train together. Um, and then we came to his place and he, in his garage, he had a big, uh, uh, how do you say, a big pallet of Red Bulls. Like yes. it was hundreds of Red Bull cans, maybe a thousand or so. And, and at that time, that was 1989. Red Bull was still was not allowed and was not existing in Germany. Um, we got about 10 cans each and a Red Bull T-shirt. Um, so for me, that brand had already something. But fast forward uh, to 1980, uh, 1998, um, I was contacted by Ariane Trommler. I don't know if you know her. Um, no. Ariane was at the time a, a marathon runner um, or endurance runner, and but she was working for Red Bull at the time, and she was building the team uh, in Germany. Um, they started in Germany, I think, around 1996, but I'm uh, not 100% sure. But um, and yeah, they started to create a team of athletes, and um, it was three. Uh, sorry, BMX athletes. One was Guido Chuk. Uh, one was actually Guido came maybe slightly later. Uh, it was Niels Peter Jensen. You probably know MPJ, yes. yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, and then Sasha Meyenborg was another one, and yes. myself. 
and but we were a sponsor for BMX. But if you remember, like NPJ moved on more to mountain biking. Uh, then Guido yes. Chuk also got on Red Bull, but he was also moving to mountain biking. And I was already doing mountain biking, but more on the side, like the focus was BMX racing. Yeah. But when I went then uh, and I rode for Rocky, I said, guys, I, I need to, like, I, I gonna, I stop BMX. And they wanted me to stay on, on BMX, actually. Um, but my yeah, my exposure and everything was on uh, on mountain biking was um, much bigger and was more motivating to say. Yeah. Well, that's a great story. Yeah, I know all of those guys, and then they they definitely are a big part of the of the mountain bike and BMX history in the in the nineties. So, yeah. but I didn't know that. Uh, so you were called for BMX, and then and then everything stayed on with Red Bull. Exactly. Yeah. So we're we're approaching like you know you said ninety eighty nine you're you're part of the free riders Red Bull. Um, so if you look at at uh, at that part of your life uh, racing you know and and you've been very successful in BMX, um, right? Becoming junior world champion. No, yeah, well, I wasn't junior world champion. I was fourth in in the junior uh, world championships Sorry. in in 92 yes yeah and i won german championship title but and about six times second um after the last time when i got second i was i was fed up <laughs> i said i'm gonna stop <laughs> yeah yeah and then so you 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 pivoted to to mtb but looking back um at, at that time uh what what were failures and learnings you know looking at how you you worked your way to become what you are? Um, I, I mean, at that time, I would say like failures, um, maybe one was like in the, in the mid nineties that I didn't make the move to, uh, to, to stay in the U S for a longer time. Um, that's something that I feel like I missed out on. I would, I traveled there, um, but usually never longer than six weeks. And I raced a couple of nationals and uh, also made finals only, yeah, I think twice. Well, once, well, once, once finals and a couple of semifinals. So it wasn't, wasn't that successful. But, and then when I was in mountain biking, uh, I would do a little bit too many jobs, let's say, and have uh, almost too many hats on. And that was probably a bit of a mistake. And I didn't, like, as long as I wasn't on Rocky, like in the time before, in those, I was probably eight years from 91, I mean, the first shooting, I had probably 1990, 91. And then until 99, I was, um, I remember I was writing shows for Univega, but only at dealers, and um, quite a lot of shows. Um, but then I did also shows at the festivals uh, for Mar Marine. Uh, uh, and and then there were also times I wrote for Mongoose. And <laughs> sometimes I had like two or three partners 
and it wasn't. Did, did you ever mix up bikes? I had, go with the wrong bike for the event. No, I never I mixed up my bikes, but um, but yeah, it was because of BMX. I I had like a BMX bike, and not always it had mountain bikes. I, I mean, I remember I rode mongoose in '94. 95 I was on Sun and then 96 96 97 I was on Diamondback and and I did the Uni Vega still on the side um and I was team manager in uh in 96 7 um I, I worked for Uli Guppenberger who you probably know oh. yeah yes <laughs> so that was so it really sounds like like you've you've uh, like you said had a lot of hats on yeah and and uh so uh how did you feel you had too much going on or when when did you get aware hey i got too many things going on well that was too many things on was really uh actually in the time of my accident i would say like in the time um already before a little bit but but in in 2002 um, so when I joined Rocky, I would you know, go a lot to North America and have different shoots and this and that. And I just, I mean, I handled my own schedule. I handled my own, did my media work. I did my partnerships and everything. And um, I didn't have enough time to actually focus on writing. Okay. And did you have a mentor at that time? I didn't have a mentor really. No, I, uh, no, I mean, I had my friends that I spent lots of time with, uh, whether it was Tibor Simai as one example, right. uh, or of course, uh, Richie, Wade and Tippy. Um, with them, I traveled then quite a lot. Um, but yeah, no, I didn't have a mentor and somebody that. Thinks and then going back. Yeah. Going back to when you said you should have stayed longer in the U.S., um, what what would have made the difference from your view today? Um, maybe not so much difference from for today. So it's not something that I I'm I'm sad about, but of course the experience just to be actually on on like as a professional. BMXer in the 90s, like probably in the 80s, it was even more of a highlight, but at that time I was way too young. Um, but in the, um, to just do it for six to 12 months or something and, and be able to do it. But of course, you need sponsors that pay you there and so on. So, um, and um, it was just some, let's say, experience that I would like, would have liked to have. Okay. Um, but it's not something I'm, I, I don't think it would have changed me too much <laughs> as a person or I wouldn't have gained lots from it. <clears throat> so coming now to this uh, crazy day of your accident that you just led to um, by saying, hey, you did too much. Um, that seems to be the biggest uh, pivot in your life, right? I mean, from cover boy movies, um, traveling, and then there's this full stop. Um, how was that? Yeah, it was definitely quite a cut into, into my lifeline, so to say. Uh, it was uh, a new – It's suddenly I started from, again, from 
like it was a second start, but thanks to the life before, I was able to build up um, on on my my past life and create a new life that was, um, you know, I would say just as good, of course, with a lot of uh, restrictions. Like I wouldn't be able to ride a mountain bike anymore uh, or um, have certain things that are physically uh, challenging uh, that I would never know that they actually exist or I didn't know so detailed. Um, and even though I'm not sure if you know this, but I have a brother that's also in the wheelchair and uh, that's, uh, yeah, it, so I, had, I kind of knew about it. Of course I knew about it, but, um, but not too many details. And yeah, like, no, it's <laughs> can can you can you share how he uh, broke his back? Became, yeah, he he was same as you. He he was climbing uh, climbing mountains, um, but in in like about thirteen years before, I think his his accident was about eighty nine, eighty nine or ninety, and uh, yeah. Wow, that must have been. Really hard for your mother, huh? Um, well, he's a he's a first son of my father, so it's not my mother's son. Um, yeah. But for for my father, it was hard, of course, and yeah, of course, it's uh, it's a bit bizarre. <laughs> How did you get back up? You know, like I mean, from full gas to full stop um, to full gas <laughs> you know, to, to full gas again, right? I mean, today, but the, the, this. Basically, starting your your second life, you said your your, your second Tarek brand. Um, what did you take from your first life experience that that uh, helped you to to become successful again? What tools did you take? Um, what value? The main tools are, uh, I would say, my uh, let's say my 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 attitude or my um, Like, how do you say? Like, I, I was, um, I was always somebody that would look at the good things in life. Um, so you're very positive. I, I was always positive. I was able to turn negative moments into positive moments. And one, for example, like a key, uh, also little turn in in my uh, in the time when I grew up as a kid was when my parents divorced because. My mom and my sister were devastated. They were super devastated. After 16 years, they got divorced and my dad wasn't there. And it was, um, you know, the end of the world for them. I was maybe a little bit too young to understand it properly. But for me, I didn't judge it like that. I didn't judge. I was just, it's going to be okay. And, um, you know, we, we do the best out of the situation. And I was six years old, um, and and I sort of kept that same um, thinking and living uh, in 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 my everyday life, and I still live it in in this way. I would say, <clears throat> not to judge, uh, you know, too much in general. Yeah. Uh, it's very healthy, and uh, and and to be able to create things that are not only based out of your experience 
I would say it's always like a mix, of course. Like you sometimes do things and you have experience, but you also have to create uh, with your your soul or with your inside, with your instinct um, as well. Um, yeah. And my inst instincts uh, during my accident were there. Uh, I have to say they were there, but my mind was uh, a bit stronger. So in a wheelchair, um, sitting there and, and looking at, at life. And then fortunately, like, as you said, you're very positive. And, and as uh, some of the stories you shared, you're a very open-minded person and, and um, you have, you have courage. What, uh, what was driving your, your uh, next steps? Like, uh, was it just you alone? Did you have people that helped you to get moving forward? How did you make that, that uh, next step uh, in direction of, of uh, resolution? Um, <clears throat> I would, well, let's, let's start like right after my accident. I think like my friends from the mountain bike community and mountain bike world were there. Um, the friends as well as some brands uh, that were there <clears throat> as well as um, also bike magazine. I remember when I came out of hospital and rehab, which was after uh, three and a half months, early December, 2002, I went into uh, the, uh, to see um, back at that time, it was, I think Bernd Zarelles, I'm pretty sure uh, was the yes. chief editor. And, um, and he's, he started at that time, or they wanted to start with a section called dirt bike uh, for, for bike magazine. And um, they said, um, dirt bike is something that's only about free ride, gravity, and uh, we want that you actually uh, support these pages uh, as much as you can with information and with uh, themes and and your connection to North America is quite well and, and so on. And they also sent me actually to... Um, Uh, to do, for example, uh, reports about races. Uh, I went to the race, uh, Red Bull race down uh, in the uh, the race to the middle of the earth. <laughs> um, and, and that was early 2003. Um, they sent me to Cedric Gracia to do a profile on him. That was actually my first trip um, to Andorra. Um, was my first proper uh, plane trip um, after my accident. Um, and Yeah, so I was getting that opportunity to be integrated in the in the mountain bike world or bike world again. And without, you know, pushing like and calling up like, hey, can I do this? Can I do that? I was just, um, after my accident, I still felt really connected and I was still really positively uh, thinking or, or thinking positive about the sport and, and engaged and, And uh, yeah, I love the sport. I was, of course, not happy or, or not so happy that I couldn't do it anymore. But at the same time, I was happy to still have it as a, uh, as a world that I'm somehow part of, even if I'm in a wheelchair. So it seems, seems that, that all your, your great foundation, your network of friends, of athletes you, you work and ride, raced with, and of brands, uh, uh, it gave you... A, a great uh, support for the second life. Yes. 
Yes, definitely. Great. Like it, it's, I would say friendships and partnerships, um, you know, whether it's brands and whether it's uh, uh, media and, and in general, you can say the mountain bike community is, is really uh, amazing because especially when you have a longer history and it is, you know, a lot of people and the people are in general really amazing. Like they're great people, um, at least, uh, yeah all of that that I know and um, yeah and I feel like it's a connected world and for me the world seems smaller than maybe for others but um, I, I always like to to be in touch with my friends overseas or in, in different countries great story so what then pushed the button for your agency resolution um, I was contacted by a, uh, by a guy that I didn't actually know. He was Canadian and lived in Munich um, to organize um, a movie premiere. And uh, we did this together. It was a New World Disorder 3, I believe. Uh, we did it in the Registratur in Munich. It uh, was a full success. Um, then him and I, uh, um, well, he, he actually told me of a place in uh, Meersburg at Lake Constance um, and he would like to do an event um, and if I want to do the event with him he knew that I have the connections to athletes to brands and to media and he was uh, more a writer but was quite creative um, his name is Corey Moore lives in Canada now again and uh, yeah Corey and I then uh, Uh, put on the event called Ride to the Lake in 2004. And the event turned into a full success. Um, and I was somehow like the, you know, front man of, of that, uh, even though he did a lot and also the city did uh, quite a bit in the organization as well. And <clears throat> I was contacted by very, very, uh, or, or by many people to do events in their countries. So in Italy, uh, I remember it was like in Tuscany, they, they asked for an event in uh, uh, somebody for the Tour of Brighton for T-Mobile at the time, uh, somebody in Portugal, somebody in Spain. Like it was like kind of overwhelming for me. And then I so knew... So this ride? Yeah. This ride to the league was, the, that was like seemed to be like an event that has never been done before, right? Exactly. Yeah. It was the first time. Yeah. It was a first time event. It was all about free ride and do, bringing free ride to the city. Um, so something, I mean, I knew at the time that was already Crankworx was existing in 2004. Um, and I would travel to Crankworx and of course tell people also about ride to the lake and uh, rampage was already existing. And I, I was, uh, there was a call, uh, event called Red Bull Ride that I also participated in. And um, so Slope Style was just starting in those years, but it hasn't properly arrived in Germany or in, in Europe. And uh, then, yeah, Ride to Lake had every rider there pretty much. Kyle Strait was there, Chemical was there, um, Aaron Chase, uh, Cedric Gracia, Timo Pritzel, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Timo was a judge actually at the event, I remember, because he was injured. But um, yeah. So for this for this event, 
um, right to the lake, um, you did not have your agency yet, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And and looking back, did you did you have to take risk to to do this event? Um, not not really. I mean, um, because the official organizer was the city. Um, okay. So we had the direct contact to uh, the mayor of the city. Um, he was related to my friend Corey's wife uh, at the time. And um, only at the time, because I think they got divorced uh, a bit later, unfortunately. Um, but uh, yeah, they uh, the city organized it on the paper and they also did a lot with the local infrastructure and, and organization. Uh, but we did everything for the sport. We invited the athletes, we did the media releases, we got the sponsors, uh, the course design and, and the format and so on. So, and it actually was really successful, even though I would say we, we was, we were kind of, a, um, you know, you know, sort of a test team to do our first event. It was definitely a bit of uh, chaotic and, 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 and mad and it rained the whole time. Um, but Red Bull, again, Red Bull was there, was, was a partner and it was really amazing to have Red Bull there. Uh, actually, we had Adidas and Oakley and Siemens Mobile um, and, and Bike wow. Magazine also. Um, and Red Bull loved the event so much that they said, guys, we want to do this event again uh, with you guys, but we want to take it on as a title event. And we would support it more with our events team as well. Um, you guys look after the sport and we do everything around it. And and that's uh, how the Red Bull District ride uh, got started. And it got started in 2005. And in that same year, I also started Resolution. Um Okay. Exactly. So, but with a business partner at the time, I started with a business partner. Okay. Starting a company, a complete new adventure project, or how did that uh, get started from your point of view now? Well, for me, I had to find somebody that was able um, to bring in more than I had. I, I, you know, I had the network, I had uh, connections, know-how in the sport. Um, I was able to write um, and, uh, and <laughs> of course, to socialize and, and so on because of my network. And, um, and, and I had the passion for the sport, uh, probably more than, than anyone almost. And, and um, that, uh, that helped me, but I needed somebody that was organized and that was able to um yeah pull the strings more in 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 a comp for a company uh to write a business plan to um make you know a, a plan like have a website like in in different things like i was not really good like i wasn't i wasn't the guy that would pull out powerpoints out of his ass like i i just was <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I was, so it seems like it seems like uh, that uh, that uh, you knew what you were strong, what you could do, but you also knew what where you needed support. Yeah, yeah, and and, uh, and so the the other part is that is it, is it the first time that you started working in a team? Because it seems like before you were always, like you said, like a, 
a single person athlete taking care of everything yourself. Yes, that's that's completely right. I was uh, definitely a one-man show um, before as an athlete, even though when I was in a team, um, I was still, you're still by yourself. I mean, the team with Rocky was, was amazing, but you're a team because you travel together, but it's not, it's different than working in a company with different people and having a team uh, that works for you or with you. Um, and it was a challenge for me, I have to say, and it's still somehow a challenge, like uh, to have the team skills um, that you need uh, in everyday uh, life at work. How many how many people are working at Resolution today? Um, thirteen should be thirteen about. And and all these thirteen people cover everything that you can, one can see on your web page, or do you have extra freelancers? Uh, sorry, they, well, we have freelancers as well, um, but the freelancers uh, we choose, you know, for production, for example, for events. Um, mainly for productions and events. Um, that's that's okay. where we use freelancers. Everything else is uh, being done is uh, within the agency in house. So let's come to your 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 best man in, in in the stable. How did you did you come across Danny? How did this start, Danny? You and Resolution. It's uh, it's actually funny because I mean at the time we already worked with athletes. We worked with athletes from the beginning and. We had, um, in the past, we had often requests for shows, and but we had only had guys that do jumps, like big jumps, like slope style and dirt jumps and stuff like that. So um, I sometimes thought, hmm, it would be cool to have a trials rider as well, but trials, I mean, it's not that cool, like regular trials. And then one day I... I got an email, and this is about April 20, uh, sorry, uh, yeah, April uh, 2009, I got a mail, not an email, uh, well, I was contacted by one guy on Skype, and another guy sent me on Facebook a message to Hans Ray, to Ryan Leach, and to me, uh, York Carew, you know York probably, a uh, photographer yes. friend, uh, and he sent me the clip of Danny. I was like, oh, wow, that's amazing. Really cool. Um, that's actually like trials that, that is so cool and different. I really loved it from first sight. And then, but I wasn't thinking too much. I wasn't like, oh, we have to work with that guy. Like I was, you know, I'm not always like I, I, I get into that. Um, and I had no idea how successful the video would actually get. But um, then Another guy from, uh, he's from, he used to work for, uh, San Andreas Mount, mountain. What is it? Mountain frames from what's that? The frames. Yeah. San Andreas, yeah, San Andreas. And, uh, he's, I think he's Scottish and, but he lived in Chamonix and, uh, and he said, there's a guy he could ha he could need my help. And, and that was Danny. So he connected us, um, and at some point through him, I got also Danny's phone number. We started talking, um, and 
for me, it was important to actually meet him in person. So we flew him in uh, because at the time, uh, the Messe Munich um, had his bike expo for the very first year. And we said we should have Danny there. And we, we did the event organization for the festival for outside. Um, and so that's how we flew in Danny. And, and then I, like I saw, wow, he's like a super humble, super nice guy. Uh, but maybe a little bit too shy. Like he was super, uh, super shy at the time, but he was 23 and it was, um, yeah, was, Amazing, but and he took he, and so no. he took some time, but uh, in within three months, uh, um, we started working together. I, I said, "Hey, we would like to manage you," and uh, yeah, that's how it started. And um, great story again, you know, with all your network and then the open mindedness. You know that something that looks cool but is hard to transport is is very useful for shows like. You know, we we all in the industry know these many shows that Danny and his team did at the at the trade shows or at the festivals, and uh, were a super magnet. But coming back, um, starting with an athlete like Danny, did did you have a plan? Did you develop a plan on like that's what we're going to do to make you a big strong brand? How do you approach this? Uh, well, we wanted to get him, of course, in contact with the right partners. Uh, that was important. Um, and, and at the time, there was interest by different brands, also different energy, uh, brands. And, and actually Danny asked me, he's like, Hey, if I, if I work with you, um, I have like, do I have to ride Red Bull? And I'm like, uh, you don't have to do anything like, but let me explain you a little bit about the brand and what the brand does. And it can be quite beneficial for you. Um, because they probably, if you have some dreams, they can realize those dreams. And that's exactly what happened in some way, you know, with his projects and videos, because Danny is very creative with videos and that's how, we just started working um, to develop new ideas um, or, well, let's say support new ideas that he develops really um, because the ideas usually from, from Danny's videos, they usually come from him. And okay. um, we, we just made sure that, that the, uh, yeah, that the videos can be created, that the funding is there and that he has the right partnerships. He, speaking about Danny, he just came out with a, a very fresh and his latest uh, video, Slaps, uh, riding down some super, super steep uh, shoots in Scotland. Um, what what part of uh, getting this video done, promoted out there is, is uh, your work? Can you share some of this? How, how does it work? Uh, getting a video from Danny. Go yeah. Um, I mean, our it's like he, he actually created the video with his friends and, and uh, film uh, production uh, um, that, uh, that he's working with a lot uh, during lockdown uh, last, uh, last year, uh, last summer. And um, we do everything that's the PR around it. So the PR rollout um, and the launch plan uh, 
what what is needed, what assets are needed, what uh, the media gets. We write the press uh, releases in, um, in both and two languages. Um, we set up interviews with uh, different channels. We um, also work with a TV pr distribution together. Uh, they also distribute uh, content. And um, yeah, we just run the, the whole PR part for each of his videos and each of Fabio's videos as well. So that's a lot, lot of work of the, the writer. And, and thinking back of you, you did all this yourself, right? Yes. Yes, I did it all myself. I mean, at the time, it was more like uh, making sure to, to uh, shoot with the right photographers or to be at least in one film a year or maybe two films a year. But um, there was no social media, so... Uh, It was definitely more loose back in the days, but yeah, we were super busy and and we didn't have any, or I didn't have anybody that represented me. So the jumping back, you know, but, you know, between this big, uh, you know, dot com, no dot com time. So, what did you and that would, what do you think would the, the writers spend their time on uh, before Instagram, while today everybody is uh, on Instagram? Sorry, what what they what the writers? Sorry, like yeah, like like just think back, like you know, so there's there's no Instagram, right? There's no social media, so there should be more time. Like, what, what did did you and and those writers spend their time with to 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 work as an athlete, a brand, um, when there was no internet? Um, you would do probably more, you know, still like shows and photo shoots. Was you know, you did a lot of shoots for print magazines uh for, yeah and and then of course there was 16 millimeter um for film or regular video i mean video 16 mil um that was it was a, a bigger part um and that just started in in the late 90s um with the films for me it started only in 2000 uh, but it was like the the main thing was to be in the movies It was already at that time uh, that made a big difference. If you were in a big movie production like Cranked or New World Disorder, you were instantly in a top level as a top international free rider. Um, and if you were a racer, you would still sometimes do this. Only a few of the racers were able to do that. Um, but uh, it was it was extra exposure that was really big. So you, you mentioned Fabio as well. And Fabio can't ride right now. He's got a, a broken foot. Um, you know, getting injured as an athlete is, is part of it. Um, how much does this hurt uh, a brand, an uh, athlete brand, if you're injured? Um, I would say it doesn't, it doesn't hurt so much. Like, I mean, it, it's... It gives you, like an injury, it gives you often time to rest and reflect yourself and what you're doing and develop other things. And with Fabio, he has uh, a few things on his plate for this year that he's been working on for a uh, longer time um, that it's probably good that he has the time right now. Um, but of course, it's, you know, it gives you a little bit of a, yeah, not so nice experience. Um Getting injured is never nice, um, but it also humbles you a little bit and you will appreciate the times when you're able to be 100% uh, 
back on the bike and enjoy just riding uh, out uh, when maybe there were times when you didn't enjoy it as much. Speaking about on and off the bike, you have another very talented and, and, and incredible rider, uh, Emil Johansson, who came as a a superstar and uh, and then disappeared. Um, also because of a kind of a so you know uh, injury, but a different kind of injury. Can you um, shed some of that that happenings? You know, for I think it's really going to be interesting for some of the younger. Uh, uh, audience who listens to to understand um, what all this pressure can do. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, Emil. I you know, I I, I was followed Emil for for many years, and then eventually we started working uh, when he was seventeen. Um, then he uh, he had definitely a skyrocketed into uh, the mountain bike scene. Um, he won the world championship in twenty uh, seventeen. Um, finished second at a lot of events, but was most consistent. So he won overall. Um, that was at, at Red Bull District, right? He was crowned as the youngest world champion back then with 18. And then after that, he, he got lots of back pain and he got sick uh, more often. And I thought he was in... You know, he was taken care of. He was living in Sweden. Sweden seems, you know, developed and everything, but nobody could really help him. And then, and and we we spoke, and then I said, "Well, you have to come uh, to Munich because I have here some specialists that you uh, that that should look at you, and you should work with them." And that's exactly what he did. And um, from Originally, where he was supposed to be uh, uh, to get surgery on his back, uh, that's what was told to him in Sweden. Uh, was uh, found out that he had at first he had um, uh, mono uh, or kissing disease or what you call it, uh, a virus. Mm -hmm. um, that was they found this in his blood, but he also had a hypermobility in his. Uh, in his pelvis um, because he has a six lumbar vertebrae, so a longer spine than, than uh, uh, most people. And so he had to do different training. He got a new training schedule uh, to work on that. But um, the mono they found out and then also uh, Hashimoto and his immune system had to be built up in the best possible way and um, yeah, and his spine needed to be worked on. He had to get braces for his jaws and uh, many different things um, that brought him back to the top again. Uh, he he had so much pain that he could uh, in in 2018 he he couldn't write very much. He could uh, he wrote probably five times um, during the year, and then he went to Whistler and wanted to just watch but somehow then he ended up actually riding and and he he got fourth which was uh, amazing for the fact that he didn't have any practice that year and and was still unstable um he, he got sick on and off you know he had the flu every other every other week or so and it was really horrible 
That sounds like a, a lot of challenges for, for a young guy. Exactly. And at the same time, the, the way you explain it, it seems like a, that uh, you have built a lot of trust uh, with your athletes, you know, that, that yeah. if you go as far as taking care of them uh, in these uh, challenging times to, to trust you to go see different doctors and take different approaches. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean that, yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, at some point there was, there was not so much uh, for him. There, there were no other options. And, and I thought, well, okay, I have to call my, my people and, and he, uh, he should, um, he should try it out. I had no guarantee whether he's going to be fine or not because I didn't know exactly what was wrong with him. Um, but uh, it worked out. And it, I had no idea that it was actually that severe and that complicated um, at the time. Um, and, uh, yeah, found out about treatments that you hadn't heard about before. <laughs> so it, it seems like, you know, with, uh, with Danny, with Fabio, with, with Emil and all the other writers, it's... Uh... It's almost like a big family business, right? Like uh, athlete management. It's not just uh, the next event, the next video, but it's also um, taking care of many, many other things in these young lives. Is it, is it, do you have a special person for this or is it in, in your team or are, are, are they all coming to you? Yeah, no, no. Of course I have uh, in my team, I have um, athlete managers uh, that look after individual athletes. Um, there we have, Three, um, yeah, three actually that look after like most of our athletes or f yeah, four actually. It's four looking after 11 athletes. And then, of course, there's still so many other things because those athlete managers, they only, they manage the athlete, but they don't do PR or they don't do finance or they do, you know, different stuff and then, For example, Natalie, my sister, uh, she does all finance stuff. Um, me, I do, I, I support in the negotiations or I support in the, in the PR and comms. Like I, I just support my team where I can. So you're like a caretaker for everything with your team. Yeah. So if you compare, like, you know, like how, 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 how these, these writers today, you know, of course there's the superstars like Danny and Fabio, but there's many others, but compared to, to when you and, and with your teams and uh, riders grew up and, and raced. Um, what are the next to, of course, the, 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 the dot com internet? Um, what's different today uh, becoming a, a top rider, a top brand than when, when you were racing? Well, today, uh, I would say definitely social media is. is uh, makes a big difference because you have your own channels and the stronger you communicate via your own channels, the better it is for you and for your partners. Um, that uh, And because of social media, there is not much, there is not any cheating. Uh, there's um, even you as a person will, uh, you know, will easily be judged and, quite transparent and uh, you have to be sort of, you have to be a good guy almost to, to, to be successful because people can see whether you're nice or not nice. Usually I would say on more on the, on, on, on the surface, of course, but. Um, so you, you guys were cheating. 
way back then? Well, I was certainly cheating in that way. <laughs> I was riding for two different brands, bike brands, at the same time. Well, for like, well, one more for uh, uh, only the shows like Eurobike and IFMA at the time, and the others for dealer shows. And then I was doing photo shoots potentially for sport check catalog or for Karstadt or whatever uh, it was. And, and I was on different bikes again. And that was possible. So, so what you're saying is that basically you had that different bike sponsors and nobody knew that uh, you were riding also for the other one? Uh, no, they, they knew. They knew because we asked them. They knew. So we weren't cheating in that way. But in some way, you're, you're definitely not building your own brand because you're, you know, you're visiting dealers, writing shows. Then you're going to the big events, which was uh, often, you know, Lago di Garda Festival and, and IFMA and, and Eurobike. And there I would uh, ride for Delta Sports and with Marin bikes. And it was um, weird, but we wanted to go to those big events and, Uh, the and Univega didn't want to send us there or pay us for that, and yeah, then we just did it and said okay. It was so it was there was no a clear, not a clear exclusivity. We were only used okay. for the dealer events and support the dealerships at the time. Um, but when it was at bigger events, um, that was actually more brand important, I would say, or just as important. Mm -hmm. um, they didn't want to. Um, Have us there, and they were, and then we yeah. told them, well, then we're gonna do it for such and such, and it was fine with them. Yeah, some, something that would not not be possible no, today anymore. No, of course not. <laughs> and and as you as you mentioned before in your in your learnings, you know that uh, you did too much and too many things, so that that's something you repeated now again that having too many different sponsors and faces and hats. Uh, didn't help you building a strong brand. Yes. Yes. I mean, that that's at the, at that time for sure. And, um, I mean, you can have only one partner per category and, uh, that that's, um, yeah. And of course, content is different today than it used to be. Like we had to watch, uh, VHS, uh, cassettes or, uh, you know, a little bit later DVDs, but still, You wouldn't get all the time this content to learn what others are doing. That's also really insane. Today, you're getting flooded by content, um, and you can also learn from from those videos. Um, we didn't have that. And so, what what you know? You mentioned a lot of advantages now for for all those writers who who have the social media, um, you know, learning through content, watching, having your own clear channel. Um, what are the challenges? For, for young and upcoming writers today building a brand? The, yeah, I mean, the challenge is definitely that when you come, let's say, uh, without any connection and, and you're kind of, you're right at the start, uh, first of all, you have to perform and, and have a, some special skills um, that somebody gets uh, aware of and, and potentially contacts you. Um, and, and the world is quite, quite 
large, but at the same time, you can contact brands. Like it's a little easier now, um, but of course, there's a lot of competition, and you cannot build your channels that easily how it was maybe um, eight or ten years ago. Like eight or ten years ago, um, you were building Facebook channels super easy and quick. Um, Instagram a couple of years ago, it was also very easy to uh, grow fast, and that is not as easy anymore. And let, let's let's uh, go a little deeper here and, and uh, double click on what what is so hard today to to grow like five years ago. To grow your channels, well, that's because of the algorithm from Facebook as well as Instagram, and uh, they want to just push push their advertising um, or. or their clients to, to do advertising. Um, and that's, uh, that was, uh, what has changed. The reach used to be really insane. You could, and you could upload a YouTube video on Facebook and just get millions of views via that, but that's not possible anymore. Then let's, let's switch, uh, um, to another area that you're involved in, which is interesting, you know, for an agency that's doing events and athletes and brands. You also represent or work with uh, areas or resorts like Leogang, I saw on your webpage. What is the work that you do with such an, an area for, for branding? Um, well, we, we worked with Leogang since a long time, actually, since 2006. Originally, we started uh, creating events for them, and we created events that created special content um, in the off-season, for example, with White Style, which was an event uh, back then that we did for 10 years. And at the same time, or in the in the same year, but in the summer, we did 26 tricks. And we, uh, we just created events that would generate lots of media content and, and media exposure. And um, since then, we also do their media work in general. And uh, I would say we we supported them in some way or brought them to a certain level. They would that they would get uh, recognition um, in the scene. That, for example, they also got a World Cup and a World Championship. It wasn't something that came overnight, but uh, they had global exposure and were known uh, from year to year. They were more known more and more, and uh, and suddenly they were able to. Um, to have a host the World Cup and became a yearly host of World Cup since 2000, what was it, 10 or 8? Uh, I think 10. Yeah, 10. I think in two, 2010, I believe, and then uh, they 2012, they had the first World Championship, and last year they had the second time World Championship. Um, yeah. Nowadays, we only do PR work for them, so media work for the World Championships, for World Cup, and uh, and for uh, for the region as a whole during during the year. But everything bike related. So, so how was uh, you know like last year with Corona? You know, it's a topic that we have to talk about, which affects all of us. So. Um, so you guys managed to, or and Leo Gang managed to to pull off a, a great event, even so it was a mud fest. <laughs> <laughs> how how was that pulling uh, an event together in Corona times? And a big event, <clears throat> a really big one. Well, we were we were only you know on the side involved with the media work, but yeah, 
Leo Gang did an amazing job because they were able to um, have everything everything set up for uh, all the Corona restrictions that were there and and have the standards that are needed to have such an event. Uh, so they had uh, on-site testing uh, for the athletes, for the journalists. Mm-hmm. Um, there was no no cases. Um, they the athletes were in a bubble, um, and yeah, and there was only media. I mean, unfortunately, no audience was allowed. Not no on-site audience, uh, which was of course a bummer for World Championship and for Resort. Usually, they do these events for people to come and watch because they want the overnight stays. Um, but it wasn't. You know, it wasn't possible. So they still pulled it off. And uh, I'm sure they got, well, they they did get lots of media. It was one of the few events that happened. Um, Of course, very unfortunate with the weather, but it still happened and it it, it got pulled off. I thought it was very important for the sport because you see soccer happening. You see uh, certain big events happening, but then mountain biking was suffering for some time. Uh, for that for in 2020 and then um, in September uh, the first big event started with uh, Crankworks um, I think World Cups Novemesto also had two World Cups in end of September and then World Championships and then uh, I believe Maribor uh, Downhill World Cup and, and then uh, Lusa uh, World Cup as well so very happy. So, uh, yeah, I can imagine. So, uh, speaking about um, races and pushing races again, Red Bull uh, has to be mentioned here as uh, doing live uh, sessions, so everybody can watch wherever they're in the world. Um, how do you see this? Can you can you um, share some insights of, uh, of of how Red Bull got connected to to the racing and you know and how this grew? Um, yeah, I mean, Red Bull, as we all, or as we know, or most of us hopefully know, uh, has supported the, the mountain bike sport from with different events uh, in the past. Um, but from um, just doing events, they also became a media house. They have their own uh, company called Red Bull Media House, and they started uh, their own um, platform for media, Red Bull TV, where they uh, share content. Um, of course, they have lots of uh, event content and athlete content, but then they became also partner for bigger properties like World Championship Series, uh, where they are the exclusive media partner and and they um, do the media production then as well. And uh, and you can watch it on their on their app uh, on your smart TV or on your phone. Or um, or on the browser, and uh, yeah, it's it's a great benefit for mountain biking to have Red Bull TV because their standard in the production is, I would say, really high. Um, they have only specialists doing the commentating. Um, you see a big difference when, for example, you have a Red Bull feed from the World Cups, and then you have a World Championships. I Remember that as an example in Cannes at the World Championships a few years ago, and you would see the production and the cameras, and you would be like, "Wow, why? Why is it like looking like that?" 
and it's not produced by Red Bull, but it's usually then the organizer has the local. a local um, TV channel that have maybe paid more money or whatever, and they um, they produce it, but in a more in a poor way, I would say. <clears throat> did did, did the, the video and the TV coverage uh, change the sport from your point of view? Um, the racing? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say it had influence on it. Um, it had influence on it. And of course, I would say it, it, it changed uh, the relevance for the teams and, and the... Um, well, the sport definitely because the brands also see it more as more valuable than uh, than having, yeah, not than having a poor coverage. Um, because if you have a poor coverage, you will see it, you know, on certain websites, and it's like people get maybe uh, more bored by it. Um, but now the the audience is really big for the World Cups. Yeah, it is good. I think it changed a lot and, and it's for the better, right? I mean, it's a little bit like, uh, do you remember like the cross country skiing when uh, 20 years ago, Bela disappeared for 50K? Yeah. And, and they never came back. And and today, the, the shorter races, you know, I think they, they used to be longer yeah. cross country ones for two, two and a half hours. And now they're 130 and yeah. all fire. Yeah. So definitely has helped the brand of cycling. Um, I want to change another topic and see what you think. You know, part of uh, of building brands, of, uh, of of going events, you mentioned them, is, is trade shows. Since since over a year, we, we don't have trade shows anymore. What do you think Corona will do to, to mountain bike trade shows? Um, hmm. Well, uh, obviously, as... as uh, As we know, Corona does have an influence on the whole, uh, on shopping, on retail, um, and and it is a challenge for trade shows uh, for sure because obviously we can't we can't visit trade shows like uh, at the moment at least not, but hopefully in some months it will be again there. I mean, I'm you know i still hope that they're around because i think that it is good to have a a, a meet and greet and uh, uh something where lots of brands are i think it's important to have it but um i'm just not sure if it needs to be always b2b like the b2b uh stuff can actually could be more digital or in you know personal meetings of course but I mean, we know how challenging it is these days, but yes. um, <clears throat> I, I, I mean, I think it is important to see product um, definitely uh, for the consumer. And uh, I think it's, it is uh, great for the brands, but it's always a trick. Do you need it in such a, on a crazy level where you have a booth that costs like so much money and has certain design. And I mean, I remember when you uh, worked at SRAM and, and, and you built the uh, with your team, a great booth. And it was, you know, one of the top booths at the whole Eurobike. And um, it's like, now you yeah. feel that's, that's money that's spent like crazy. Uh, and not just money. It was a six months project. 
Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's uh, exactly. Then then that's resources. That's way more than yeah. than just the 500k or whatever is being spent on on the booth. But the, all the resources from six year, uh, six months. That's yeah, uh, it's loads, <clears throat> of course. Um, yeah, yeah, it will be interesting to see. Thanks for for sharing your insights. Um, definitely, like like many other things, there will be a a redesign process coming so and we'll be part of it yeah yeah Tarek I wanna I wanna um, before we we end this great conversation um, um, maybe give uh, have you give some some tips to to the audience especially the younger ones who who want to become or want to be like Fabio or like Danny or Emil um, you know I've, I've definitely also many friends and like you that have kids in that age, like 10, 12, 13, all riding bikes already. So if a, if a young kid, you know, like this comes up to you and says, Hey, Tarek, I want to become a, a famous rider. Like, like, like Fabio, what do I have to do? <laughs> what, what would you say to, to a kid like that? H. The most important is that you, that you have fun in what you do, that you um, just, write as much as you can to improve your skills, of course, but to actually have the joy in what you're doing. When you enjoy doing um, riding your bike, you will get better and better automatically. Um, don't try to be like somebody, but just be yourself. I think it is important. Uh, obviously, you can have um, your idols and you do look here and there and maybe how they do a trick and so on it's like it's it's a learning process you can learn from videos from your idols um but always be yourself and and you know also uh, maybe look at yourself what what are your what is your strength maybe you have to work on your on your weaknesses and um but also uh, just just even train more your your strength like yeah it's it's important just to be yourself and have a have a good time in what you're doing don't focus too much on the others the other week i met I met a father with a son and and we talked and and uh, he knew him, uh, what i do and he asked me so like How many how many uh, likes the followers do I need on Instagram to become a good good writer? <laughs> <laughs> and I said I don't know. And <laughs> the audience will tell you zero. You have to like you you don't need those channels to become a good writer. But obviously those channels help you to look at what others are doing, and you can learn from that. Of course, like you can have the video on your on your desktop you can have it on the phone you can um you can uh, watch it on tv um there's so many youtube videos that uh, are how to's and um inspire you as a writer because you you want to do what they're doing you want to maybe do a 360 or a backflip or uh, if it's just a tabletop or uh, jumping uh, a jump like um And that's, yeah, good to look at the videos, but don't care about the number of fans that you have or followers. They will come. But that, that's a really great uh, advice and, and insight, you know, that 
to rather use social media for, for learning and watching how they do it and then go out and try this till you, you can do it and instead of trying to get more and more likes. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's not about likes. It's about that you do something that you love. And, of course, then when you have lots of skills, you can be creative and maybe do something that hardly anyone does uh, or nobody does. Yeah, of course, you're going to get a lot of attention um, as long as it's safe and and you uh, stay healthy. That's the most important. Yes. Tarek, thank you so much. Thank you for your time sharing all these great stories from yourself, from your writers, from your work, and then also giving the, these great insight tips to young people who want to conquer the world. Um, it's always a, a big, big pleasure for me to, to spend time with you. Um, and um, thank you so much. I'm looking forward to see you soon again. And most of all, I, I, I wish you a hell of a time with this uh, Ergo unit to to keep walking and, uh, and, and enjoy this. Yeah, good luck with it. Thank you. Thank you, Derek. It has been a pleasure. And uh, thank you for having me on on the um, brand uh, podcast. I'm really curious how it uh, goes and wish you, uh, cross my fingers for you and look forward to seeing you hopefully soon. Thanks. Bye, Tarek. Mm -hmm.